Hello everyone and welcome to the special edition of Mind Podcast. Um as we promised uh, on the Sunday's regular edition of Mind Podcast, uh we are back with this uh, very special edition with uh, um filmmaker and writer uh, Vivek Agnihotri. Um this is Adit Kapadia and together with me Sunanda Vashisht. Uh we are um uh, Vivek Vivek is an award-winning filmmaker and writer and is a pop is a popular public sp- uh, speaker. on various socio political issues um he uh, his his film uh, buddha in a traffic jam uh, came out a few months ago uh, a few years well no it uh, a few months ago when people saw it and stuff um. and uh, go, came out to very good reviews people loved it i know many people who've uh, in india who've watched it and uh, his latest book urban naxals the making of buddha in a traffic jam is uh, creating waves and uh, vivek is here in united states uh, on a book tour about his um, about the book and he's going to be touring various cities which we're going to be talking about uh, in detail in the um, last part of the podcast. podcast but uh, the initial part i wanted to uh, talk with vivek about his uh, about his book his journey and you know the challenges he had faced during the movie and stuff so uh, welcome to mind podcast vivek great to have you hi hi hello everybody i'm so happy and delighted to be Thank you. Um uh, thank you Vivek for us it is I actually want to um uh, start with the elephant in the room right uh, right away for us and because we do a lot of these um, you know um, events and um, we invite a lot of people on the podcast who are in United States for their <coughs> book tours I cannot tell you how happy I am that for the first time we actually have someone with and i don't call it an alternate narrative anymore i call it the genuine narrative so i'm glad that we have someone actually with the genuine real narrative touring usa with his book um so it's it's a delight to have you here and we wish you all the best for your tours um and going straight into the um you know um questions i just wanted to ask you that every time we have seen a movie coming out of a book we have never seen a book coming out of a movie so this is really unusual can you just go with um, uh, you know with our um, audience who are tuned in right now that how did this idea come about a book from a movie um see uh, generally speaking this idea never came to my mind this came to There's a gentleman called Hari Kiran. Mm-hmm. You know yes, him? absolutely, very well. Yeah, yeah. So Hari, yeah, Hari, Hari one day just called me and he said, "Vivek, you have gone through some extraordinary uh, resistance in your life. So why don't you just pen down all your uh, memories about it, your experiences?" So I told him, "I don't know if I uh, want to write a book or if I can write a book." He said, "Okay, no problem. Just go somewhere for fifteen to twenty days, reflect upon it, and see if something comes out." And so I went to go off for ten, fifteen days, and then I started writing. And I realized that um, see, two things happened. Number one, I realized that I had something to say. See, the main thing is very often we write uh, books and we make movies uh, what people want to hear, and very rarely we do things which we want to say. And here I I realized I had something to say. And uh, second thing I realized that. like 
you asked me just now about the alternate narrative, when I was writing, when I wrote two, three chapters, and I said, I have never read something like this myself, which means somewhere this small town, middle class person, and especially somebody who is really proud of Hindu civilization, you know, mm-hmm. his voice was lost. And people said his narrative is the alternate narrative in a, in a Hindu civilization, and the narrative of Marx or Mao or Stalin or Washington Post or New York Times, that is the real narrative. Yeah. You know, and nobody, nobody in India thinks about this, and people have got used to it. It's like some people wanting a Ram Mandir in Ayodhya, which is a matter of faith, 100%. Mm. And the majority, when they want Ram Mandir, people say it's a great narrative. The real narrative is that there is a masjid. So yeah. I, if I do not write this book, then I'll be doing injustice to my own conscience, mm. and the story must be told. Mm. This can happen to a successful urban filmmaker, urban because I live in Bombay, so obviously, so you get some extra marks when you live in a big cosmopolitan city, right. you know. Yeah. So, yeah, if it's going to happen with me, highly educated, qualified, successful self, uh, person who people want to listen to, yeah. If they don't want to listen to me, then imagine this a uh, young IT engineer or some teacher somewhere or a housewife. Nobody listens to that. Yeah. So I said, okay, I'm going to write it exactly the way I see. Hmm. And I wrote it uh, like a small town, middle class uh, person who is very proud of India, who sees a lot of uh, positivity around and who believes that India is a very diverse country and we are a extremely inclusive people. So I wrote, wrote it from that point of view. Okay. And somewhere it got connected with people. So, but the credit must go to Harikiran for yeah. forcing me to, uh, pushing me to uh, yeah. write this book. But I'm glad Harikiran did it. Um, I mean, he pushed you to write the book. But I would have told you three years ago that you have a book in you and you will be wondering why. Because I saw you at a writer's meet that happened in New Delhi three years ago, where I was also a part of. And I remember your session, which was pretty much the last session. And I remember that you had the audience completely bewitched to what you were saying and completely focused on what you were saying. Before that, there would be many um, uh, speakers, you know, people like myself and everybody, but we were not able to cast that spell on the audience. So you had the book in you. You had the stories and uh, books and uh, things, ultimately the stories. And I'm reading the book right now. Um, thanks to Garuda Prakashan, they have sent me the book. I'm reading the book right now. So it's essentially, the book is essentially your um, experience as you have tried to make yeah. this book. That is essentially what the book is. And interestingly, as you relate your experience, it just seems everybody else's experience. There were so many stories in there, so many episodes there where I felt, oh my God, that's me. I could have been there. And that has happened with a lot of people. Yeah. So I guess that is the connect. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you, did, have you heard think, that think, um, uh, before? I- Oh, no, I didn't know, but then I'll tell you two things have happened here. Mm. Number one, I tell everybody whenever I go uh, for book tour that this is not my story. People ask me, why is it so successful? I said, because it's not my story. Right. It is every Indian uh, story. Everybody must have felt like this at some point of time. Yeah. And second thing, what happened, Sunanda, I think, that people were sick and tired of listening to intellectual stories, you know, mm. which do not connect, which are not real on the ground. Mm. People wanted to meet some real people, people who talk genuinely and people who have really experienced it. 
and that's why it became very important uh, for me to write it from my gut and not from my mind you know exactly so i didn't go for the logic and justifying my case i went on just to the way i saw india all the people i met on my away mostly the students and mm-hmm. uh, 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 forgotten people the drivers and the guides and all those people yeah. and also you will find that this is not just a book about my experience this is also a book about success mm-hmm. not material success yeah See, so, success is that somebody should hear you somebody should love you somebody should care about you and in the end whatever you are saying people should believe yes you are right mm-hmm. so so many people i meet at these days i meet so many thousands of people everybody had just one complaint nobody listens to that mm. so no i was actually there no, was nobody listens to speak mm. actually there was going to be my question to you after this about that have you seen that many people have come out saying that this story might be their story and not in the exact form but maybe at some other place they have faced similar sort of discrimination so to speak or they have encountered the cabal to use one word for the oh yeah yeah on on an everyday basis on an everyday basis i mean if i give you every day it happens um for example you talk about hanuman mm. okay the minute you say hanuman people just start saying that you are regressive you are a sanghi and this and that <laughs> now this boy who has grown up reading hanuman chalisa and which has given him some strength or which has it's a matter of faith faith can move mountains nothing has been achieved with doubts mm. and the strategy of the communists especially the leftists who i call her the nazis mm. their strategy is to use doubt as a weapon with doubt they create confusion in the society right and mm. when there is a confusion it's very easy to break up the society mm. Mm. and that's what they do mm. now india has been colonized for so long so mind shaping condition anything which is written in english anything which comes from the washington post or anything which is you know uh, coming from outside india mm. people tend to believe that this is the right narrative perhaps they know better than us mm. who are we do know they know the truth But this new generation of young boys and girls, they were feeling frustrated. See, we spent the first generation after independence, they spent all their time basically consolidating themselves, you know, establishing themselves and making sure that children go and study. Mm-hmm. So the second generation, which went to US, UK, big towns, and they did job, and they just spent all their life earning, and they could not speak. Nobody heard them. Mm-hmm. But today's generation is not like that because this is the digital generation. Mm-hmm. They are not like me. half and all half digital trying to you know confuse between both yeah so there at that time the minister read this book or they heard me and they see my journey for last 7 8 10 years they know exactly uh they know whether i am transparent or not yeah. so they knew that yes whatever i am saying is true it's not that i have come from anywhere i am trying to yeah you know it's, it's not a forced thing. narrative is so what you're trying to say it's not forced yeah So uh let's get straight into the book. One of the criticisms that I have heard, one of the rare criticisms, I mean I have only heard accolades. The one of the rare criticisms that I have heard from the other side is that you know not everyone you disagree with is an urban naxal. Uh 
So um, Naxalites, Naxalite movement for the benefit of our um, audience here started from Naxalbadi in um, in um, West Bengal. And from there, it's, it's a, you know, a Maoist movement, a leftist movement whose only aim is to overthrow Indian state. And this is not what I am making up. This is what is in their uh, manuals. This is what is stated. They do not shy away from it. Yes. Yes, their apologists will shy away from it, but they themselves, if you talk to any Naxal or if you talk to any Maoist, they will tell you that their aim is overthrowing of Indian state. So coming back, Vivek, you are the premise of this book and um, the movie as well was that these apologists of Naxal, these apologists of gun-wielding Naxals, who you call urban Naxals, have infiltrated everywhere uh, so-called sophisticated yep. places you know they are not in forests they are not in jungles they have infiltrated in our um, uh, you know living rooms in our colleges in our universities in our media in our academia that is the basic premise of this book the uh, you know criticism i'm hearing is that not everybody you disagree with you cannot label them as urban naxal what is your answer to that Oh yeah, definitely not. See, that's why I've written the book. And I keep telling in all my speeches since the book has been launched that they have to understand who is an urban Excel. Let me explain to you. Yes. See, uh, you have to see the, uh, how it works. First, the terror organizations all over the world, through them, via the NGOs, the money comes in. And for training and for buying equipment, they have satellite phones, they have drones, they have all ILDs, landmines, all kinds of things. And after they got these arms and ammunition, now they have they created this infrastructure and the cadre and the organization over a long period of time in the last 50 years. Uh, post liberalization, slowly their relevance was becoming less. And after 2014, this new government has actually diluted them and they have really restricted them to a smaller geographical area. Hmm. So they don't, do not have employment. So what do they do is they use all these arms and ammunition for extortion. And they, normally when they say extortion, people think they must be extorting capitalists and big industrialists like Ambani or Adani. It is not really true. They extort poor people. They extort drug drivers who come for weekly markets, you know, and they are weekly markets every day in different villages. Mm -hmm. So they charge thousands, they extort them for thousand bucks per truck. Vegetable vendors, the poor people. And that's how they collect about 1100 crore rupees per annum. Wow. In extortion. Now, this money go. Like people assumed that okay, they must be using for terror activities. But I'll tell you, it goes to cities. It comes to urban areas for urban nationalism because they want to overthrow the state of uh, India, and that is possible only if they create sort of a civil war kind of a situation in cities. Hmm. So my logic is very simple. Anybody who is funded even one penny from this blood money is definitely an urban national because he's working for the same organization. Mm. Now, who are these people? So what they have done is, they, their objective is to overthrow that state by 2025. Mm -hmm. So they, did, they said, okay, we have to classify. So number one is labor. Okay, they are working very in a very big manner with labor. Because labor can stop the motor of the country. Mm. You know? That second thing is legal activism. All this legal activism, you see, these people are anti-development and anti-success. 
So you want to build a highway, you want to build a bridge. Immediately, all these people go and file lots and lots of cases, and that budget gets delayed. So that's how they stop the motor of this uh, country. Third is you must have seen at twelve o'clock midnight they open the Supreme Court. Now it costs going to Supreme Court costs hell of a lot of money, mm. and opening at midnight for a terrorist and all it costs a lot of money. Then it runs into nothing less than thirty, forty, fifty lakhs. So who's funding that? I'm sure Prashant Bhushan, who led the group, he's not funding it from his pockets. Yeah. So then I made a list of all these NGOs. And the third is NGOs. A whole lot of NGOs they do nothing. Their objective is to work for downtrodden or poor, not. But they do nothing. You will find all they have done is in last ten years is that they file petitions to get a terrorist out or an axle man out or something like that. Mm. So and the and the and the forces, intelligentsia, opinion leaders, policy makers, media, all that in one group, and students. That's how you find that after 2014, so much of student education, so much of labor, farmers also come in that that education, the Dalit politics, all these things, the money being spent on this to create these manufactured protests, so that there is chaos, conflict, anarchy, and ultimately civil war. So that when they enter with guns and violence, and when they damage state property, normal citizens say, "Oh, it's okay; they deserve it." You know, mm. that is the objective. And, 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 and when I figured that out, and I first I spoke about it in the film, everybody said it's too far-fetched. But then um, our results are in front of people. When the book came, they said, "Oh, just because I don't agree with this man, he's calling me urban nexus." No, I don't call those people. Mm. So many people I disagree with; they are not urban nexus. But a lot of people, uh, Sunanda, work indirectly for this. Correct. Mm. You know, without realizing what they are working yeah. for. No, it's a without, web. Uh, it's a web uh, of deceit. Uh, IS organization in uh, Kashmir, when they strike so many journalists and so many people, they immediately start justifying and supporting them. ियलिटीजेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंटेंट
that um, spontaneous right everywhere so uh, what was what are your thoughts on that vivek See, universities are badly infested, and uh, two, three places are badly infested in India with uh, 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 urban nationalism. One is university, second is policy making. Hmm. You know, and these for if you look at see after Lal Bahadur Shastri uh, died mysteriously in Tashkent, since then you see what is happening. Problem is in our country. What people do is they do not go and analyze uh, 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 different. They don't put dots together. Hmm. If you look at it, what has been happening in this country in all these years, and you'll find that <coughs> the entire machinery, the entire bureaucracy, basically suffers from this mind, which is a colonized mind, mm. right? And the same colonized mind, after a few years, uh, once you get a job, they they become leftist, and then a lot of people get onto the payroll. No, the other day I was in uh, Hyderabad uh, Central University. Mm. You know, the Rohit Bengal's uh, case happened suicide. Yes. Now these people, when 15th August and 26th January come, mm. all these students leave the university Please, so that there cannot be any celebration. Okay. Mm. And for the October Revolution, they have a one week long celebration in the university. Mm. So this is India. You tell me in which part of a democracy, in any democracy in the world, this is possible. It's like in U.S. in some American university. On Fourth of July, everybody goes off like this morning, and nobody celebrates. And uh, on on 9/11, everybody celebrates for seven days. Can you imagine? Yeah. Well, that is what's happening. So one boy told me, a research scholar told me just now. Some 30 students invited me. I was in Hyderabad. They said, "Sir, you have to meet us. It's SOS. We are in trouble." So I went to meet them. And there, one of the boy, he asked his professor when he joined the university, and he says, "I want to read different points of view on India." He recommends some of the best books, uh, which you know. He said, "Read Arundhati Roy." Oh my God! <laughs> right. So the boy said, "But sir, Arundhati Roy, I have read her essays, and she writes everything about India. I want to read about India. So reading her, I would learn." He said, "Okay, in that case, you just go and join some shakha and read Sawar." Wow. Okay. Wow. Now. See, this what I am telling you now. In next one minute, you have to understand this. It's very critical. Mm. Now, Tawarkar, if anybody has gone to Anman and Nikobar, people have not gone. Problem is, people don't know because nobody told them. You have to go there and just see that place where he lived for fifteen years. It was a dark room, a small window, and that window faced the gallows. And every single day, he saw people dying, broke his bones. So, fifteen days he fought for freedom of this country. Fifteen years, I'm sorry. Mm. And this professor is talking as if he was a criminal mm. or he's some downgraded person. On the other hand, he is trying to celebrate Arundhati Roy. Now, you live in India or you live in you are anti-India. Now, this is a question which needs to be answered. I have studied in JNU. If you don't, see the address, the professors address students as comrades. Mm. Yeah. You know, yeah. in a democracy, I do not understand why you have to call anybody comrade. Mm-hmm. What is Marx and Stalin and Mao? They are doing in India. This is one question I've been asking for last eight years. Yeah. Yeah. A country which has been given some fantastic political thinkers like Krishna, Buddha, Gandhi, Ambedkar. In that country, you will find Marx and Stalin and Mao mm-hmm. and all the yeah. capitals. What is interesting is that the countries that produce Mao and Stalin, they don't think about, they don't talk about them anymore. 
No, see the idea is to bring Hindu. See, I'll tell you in reality what is happening. Hindu civilization is one of the two or three surviving continuous civilization. Chinese civilization, you can say to an extent. China is a closed country, mm -hmm. like a communist country. India is the only free Hindu civilization. And mm -hmm. when I say Hindu civilization, I don't mean necessarily Hindus. All the Muslims and Christians, they are also part of the same civilization. Of course. Mm -hmm. Not that Indian Christians or Muslims have come from somewhere else. They never came from Iran. Yes. They, they were born and they just converted to another religion. So it's a great, great civilization. But people need to break it because we are surrounded by Islamic and country. So therefore, a lot of Islamic and communist funding comes and it's, everybody knows, all the intelligence agencies of the world know, it's in black and white, on record. So it's not that something I'm saying. So on one side, from the left-hand side of India, from the eastern side, all the communist money comes in and from the uh, west side, all the... Uh, Islamic money comes in. And what they are trying to do is create an Islamic communist uh, bloc, which they could do very easily with national movement in jungle. That's why they created a huge red corridor, which runs from uh, West Bengal, cuts mm. through Jharkhand, Bihar, Madhya Pradesh, Chhattisgarh, and Andhra Pradesh, and up to Tamil Nadu, they But after 2014, suddenly the red corridor from 120 districts is now confined to 27 districts. Mm. From 40% geographical area, it's not confined to 20 or 15% geographical area. And that's why they have up their stakes in cities. Mm. So all this you are hearing, intolerance and peace <coughs> and uh, Ram Mandir and all. So they, they have really raised the volume and the noise level to yeah. such a level where people start fighting with each other, they start... You know, as far as these things is concerned, let me just make it very clear in India, in North India, UP, Bihar and all these places, even in villages, even Muslims don't eat beef. Yeah. And a whole lot of Muslims are vegetarian people. Like people think in Punjab everybody is eating chicken. That's not true. If you travel from Delhi to Chandigarh, in no Daba you will be served non-vegetarian. Yeah, yeah, they're all even what they call Vaishno Daba. <laughs> yeah, they're all Vaishno Daba. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Similarly, if you, I'll come with me See, anybody who has any doubt can come with me. I'll take you to hundreds of villages. Mm. There you will find that Muslims just, they, they also worship uh, cow like Hindus do. Yeah, yeah. No, so what cow is not... Sorry? Yeah, complete your thought. It's really. a Hindu civilization mm. thing. Mm. No, I agree. No, so exactly. And the, the what your book tells is the extent of this rot. See, people might be aware of the rot in XYZ cities or small location and stuff. But it almost pinpoints to the whole, uh, I wouldn't even say pan-India, but pan-urban India sort of uh, uh, thing where it's going on. But before we, before we wrap up the discussion, um, I wanted to ask you a quick question about uh, the Tashkent Files. Because that's a movie I'm really looking forward to. Uh, it's a topic that has not been, I don't think it has ever been attempted on, uh, in Netscape, which is bizarre, you know. It's one of the greatest unsolved mysteries. So, um, uh, are you going to give us any spoilers, Vivek, or are you going to solve it on Mind Podcast today? <laughs> see, uh, see, Pascal Files, again, I'm telling you, it was not by design, it just happened on 17th of October. I said it today is also Shastri's birthday, so let's remember him because. Nobody was talking about him, everybody was talking only about Khan. Yeah. So lots of people started telling me, why don't you make a film on his mysterious death? And I'm not a conspiracy theory person. <laughs> I'm a researcher. I'm, only research is the most important thing. So I asked my assistants to research Shastri. So they came with the same five, six theories which float around uh, on Google and internet, you know. 
and so the same theory go in different wordings and different essays. So I said this is not worth it. Then what happened? I was just sitting with somebody, and I said this is the project I was working on, not mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. And he told me something, and from there my journey started. And I, I personally, I invested two years researching. Mm-hmm. And what we figured out, you will find this urban nationalism. Mm-hmm. And the mystery behind Shastri, they are all interlinked. Wow! So for me, it became an extension of the same work. Mm-hmm. Shastri's uh, death mm-hmm. is part of a very. I'm not saying whether he was uh, murdered. I'm not even saying whether he died of heart attack. But the the cover up behind him is perhaps one of the biggest political no, covers. Mm-hmm. Corrupts in the history of India, and, I think and then I found intelligence agencies of India also believe in the same thing. They also believe it's the biggest political corrupt. And slowly, I went to Tashkent and Delhi and Parliament and archives, and this film is going to reveal the whole conspiracy. What happened to India post Shastri's death? Yeah, and I mean, and I'm, why it happened and who was behind it. I, I can and tell this you, is going to be, this is a fact. It is the truth, and this film is going to. Uh, you know, uncover lots of uh, false theories about his death. Yeah, I mean, one basic thing about the whole Shastri issue is there are always, in my mind, there have been more questions than answers, and mm-hmm. I can say the same for Sunanda. And uh, no work has yet attempted to conclusively answer it. So, you know, Vivek's efforts, efforts are laudatory from yeah. in what he's done. But before we before we let you go, Vivek, I wanted to make an announcement. So the Vivek's US tour begins this week. He's going to Chicago. Um, All major cities of the United yeah, New States. New York, Dallas, Houston. Uh, in California, there's going to be th- uh, uh, many uh, events. Uh, a detailed list is going to be made available. It's, I think, indicated. Academy, uh, Academy is, go, is going to be tweeting about it and we are also going to be tweeting about it um, uh, but for all our Houston listeners he's going to be here on July, July 7th from 12 to 2 so make sure you come and um, I think the tour kicks off with Chicago right Vivek if I'm not mistaken yeah the first one is I think Bloomington uh, normal and then yeah. Chicago yeah. Bloomington yeah. and uh, yeah. from yeah. where I go to LA San Francisco So, uh, good luck on the tour, Vivek, and uh, congratulations again on the on the film. Yeah, but just one thing. Just one thing. uh, One thing I want to tell you, uh, listeners, Mm -hmm. that this book launch is not like typical book launches where you have an author who comes and gives speeches. I basically, I through this, this book has become a medium for me to listen to lots of people. Hmm. Lots of, in US, I have met such interesting people. They have so many things to say about India, but nobody listens to them. Yeah. So I said, okay, let me listen to them and see. And I'm collecting all these experiences. So if your listeners, uh, if you just want that I should come to you and talk to you, make a group of 10, 15 people. You can call into a Starbucks. You can sit, read a chapter, discuss, talk, take your ideas, yeah. take some videos on iPhone. See, the only way to... Uh, create the real narrative see everybody calls it an alternate narrative it's so unfortunate and that no it is the real narrative and all of us start expressing Absolutely. Absolutely. And engagement is where it will start. Yes. And to our readers, uh, Vivek is one of uh, rare authors who will actually listen to you. It's a two-way communication. Even when you come on uh, our July 7th um, uh, event, we will make sure that it's a two-way communication and your stories are heard as well as Vivek's stories will make sure. Uh, Before we end, I just want to 
quickly say something that really touched me uh, in the dedications page um, as authors usually do vivek has dedicated the book to his parents to his wife to harikiran vadlamani i mean um, that's what everyone does but in the end he has written in a very poignant and a very pithy line to the students of india i don't think there is a book that has been dedicated to students of india so that that brought tears to my um, eyes thank you so much for doing that i wish your book was around when i was a student thank you thank you very much lovely talking to you guys i'm yes. really really looking forward to coming to houston absolutely uh, never came before Oh, yes. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Vivek, for coming on Mind Podcast from Sunanda and Adit. Uh, I, it's weird talking about myself in third person. <laughs> and Vivek, it's a wrap for now. But we'll be back with our regular podcast this week. In case you're wondering why we haven't talked about the BJP PDP alliance, that's for a separate podcast. We wanted to keep this one separately focused to uh, Vivek's book and work. So um, uh, we'll be back soon. Uh, thanks for tuning in, guys. <laughs>